Well, in breaking news today, thousands shocked as a wave of diligence sweeps across sleepy Sydney suburb of Ingleburn. On Friday morning, waking parents rose to find all their school-aged children had risen an hour earlier than normal without being asked and had tidied up all their toys, packed their own lunches, gotten dressed and done their own hair. Uh, Neighbours as far as six houses away reported hearing squeals of unbelief and delight when a large number of parents had discovered teenagers doing homework, <laughs> having made their beds and cleaned their rooms. One bemused father was heard to say, I'd, I'd forgotten what colour the carpet was, uh, that there even still was some there. The room even smells okay. The spate of diligence and discipline even appears to have affected some adults across the suburb. One husband in Lionel Street, Ingleburn, got up before his wife and put on a load of washing. His wife is now convinced that miracles do indeed happen. Quoted as saying, miracles will never cease. One consequence of these events is that the emergency ward of Campbelltown Hospital has now been inundated by adults with head injuries sustained because of fainting in disbelief. <laughs> well, today as we return to the book of Proverbs, we're thinking through these issues of laziness and diligence. And as we've seen already the last few weeks, the book of Proverbs really is godly advice on, on how to live in the real world. It's about how to get on and succeed in the world that God's made, especially as one of God's people. This is what life looks like and why it's so good when you live to please God. And it's truly, it truly is the wise way to live, as we've seen. It's wise because God is the king. It's wise because he made this world and he made it to work in certain ways. And it's wise because in his love, he made it to work that way uh, in a way that benefits us and, and helps us and encourages us. Uh, and helps us do things well uh, for our benefit and for the benefit of us and to his glory. Now, if you read through the book of Proverbs, as uh, many of us have been doing, following through uh, on, on the Facebook thing, there's kind of a chapter a day that people have been reading. You'll find that the, the way that the book often teaches us is by confronting us with negative characters. Uh, the people not to be like, uh, there's lots of them. There's the fool. Uh, there's the troublemaker, there's even the nag. Uh, and, and they keep popping up as, as very negative kind of role models, people not to be like. And Solomon often gives the flip side as well, the positive role models, the, the upright, the friend who will look at friendship next week, uh, and the good neighbour. And today we're looking at one guy who shows up time and time again. I think he probably features more than any other in the book of Proverbs, uh, in our NIV Bibles, he's called the sluggard. Uh, in the Good News Bible, he's uh, called the lazy man. In some of the older translations, he's the sloth. Uh, but we might know him as the lazy bum. Maybe you're personally familiar with him or her. Uh, maybe because you've lived with one. Uh, maybe it's a bit closer to home than that. Uh, let me introduce to you the sluggard from Proverbs chapter 26. Notice, first of all, the character of the sluggard, what he or she is like. Uh, and I think the first thing to notice is his persistent laziness, his persistent laziness. Uh, you have a look there at verse uh, 14 of chapter 26. As a door turns on its hinge, 
So a sluggard turns on his bed. Uh, The sluggard loves his bed. Uh, He likes it a bit too much. So much does he love it that he has a lot of trouble getting out of it. Uh, how is he like a door? Well, a door moves and uh, swings back and forward and it's useful for stopping drafts, but uh, it doesn't really go anywhere. It just moves back and forward and the sluggard wakes up and moves, but his first movement is to just roll over and you know, pull the, uh, the blankets up around his chin. And then he moves again just to roll over the other direction. Now, let me say at this point, it's not wrong to enjoy sleep. Sleep's a great gift from God. It's not wrong uh, to uh, get the right amount of sleep that we need. It's not wrong to enjoy the warmth of bed, especially on a cold uh, winter's morning. Uh, It's not wrong to lie in on your day off. It's just that the sluggard stays in bed when you really shouldn't be there anymore. It's the person who sets the alarm for 7 o'clock, knowing they have to get up by 7.15, but they keep hitting the snooze button and they're still hitting the snooze button at 8.30. You know, the sluggard's favourite line is, just five more minutes. You know? <laughs> and he uses it over and over again every day. But there's a second characteristic we're shown. The sluggard delays finishing outstanding tasks, never finishes anything. It's the next sentence, verse 14. A sluggard, sluggard buries his hand in the dish... He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Uh, he's talking about eating, <laughs> eating food, but even that's just a bit too much effort for this, this person. They, they can't even bother lifting up their arm because so much effort to get the food up to, up to there. Uh, I mean, can you imagine someone so lazy that, you know, it'd be better if you fed them, you know? <laughs> Um, they, they can't be bothered. Uh, but it's really a, a funny picture of someone who, who starts lots of things but hardly ever finishes any of them. That's the idea, I think. It's the person who, who starts to read lots of different books but the bookmark's always halfway through or not even halfway through most of them. They're just lying around. It's the person who uh, takes up lots of new hobbies and, you know, in a frenzy gets all the, the, the golf clubs and the latest things for their hobby, their new hobby and then never bothers doing it. It's the, it's the person who promises to fix the cabinet at home and even went to Bunnings once and bought a tool but, you know, never got round to actually doing it. You know that person? Um, he just lacks discipline to finish the task. I mean, his motto is manana, yeah? uh, tomorrow, or que sera, sera, you know, what will be, will be, who cares, you know, we'll figure it out later. Um, third thing to notice about the sluggard is that he's always coming up with wild excuses for why things aren't done. The lazy bum can always give you the reason why something's not complete. Have a look at verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Uh, Back in chapter 22, verse 13, uh, there might be a lion out there, or if I go outside, I might get murdered. Um, It's kind of the excuses, you know, that the kid says to the teacher about, you know, the dog ate my homework. Oh, yeah, really? I mean, every teacher's heard that excuse and the kids have to invent new ones. Here's one that Alison, Alison's a teacher, uh, she uh, showed me this one uh, during the week. Uh, if that's too small to read, it says, I couldn't do my maths homework because a duck fell asleep on my calculator. 
well, there is a duck on a calculator, but uh, how hard would it be to just... <laughs> uh, or learn to add up without the calculator. Anyway, but, but those kind of excuses, I mean, we're familiar with the kind of ones that kids come up with, but it's not just kids, is it? We do it as adults. So I, I looked up the lamest excuses actually given to bosses for not coming into work or arriving late. Uh, it turns out that... Um, there's, there's various collections of bosses around the world who uh, record the lamest excuses they've received. Anyway, here's a few. Uh, my car radio was broken and I can't drive without music. Uh, I couldn't come to work because I accidentally got on a plane. <laughs> Someone else said... Someone glued all my doors and windows shut so I couldn't get out the house. <laughs> uh, and uh, I couldn't make it in today because my cervix hurt. Said by a man. <laughs> uh, if you're going to come up with the excuse, uh, try and make it realistic. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> uh, excuses really are the hallmark of the lazy person. And I think one of the greatest problems for the sluggard is that they start to believe them. They start to believe their own rhetoric. You use an excuse often enough and, and you convince yourself it's true. I mean, do you know there's not a line outside at the moment? There could be. I mean, you never know. In the middle, of, Has anyone seen the news this morning? Maybe one escaped at three o'clock in the morning and the zookeepers haven't discovered it yet and it's made all its way down to Ingleburn and it's probably very, very hungry by now. I mean... I might die if I walk out there. <laughs> but that's the character of the sluggard. They're persistently lazy. They're, they never finish anything. They're always making excuses. And I, if the laughter says anything, it's, it's that we, maybe we've met this person and know them only too well. Now, I'm not trying to make those here who are, are the diligent, those who tend towards being workaholics, feel guilty and, and ashamed and, and want to do, need to do more. I think in the end, the workaholic's a sad kind of person, someone whose self-esteem is often wrapped up in their activity, in their job. And they're the kind of person who don't, doesn't follow God's pattern in creation of, of work and rest. It's, it's just work for them, and they've got problems. But if Proverbs is accurate, then, uh, then there's probably more sluggards around than workaholics. Because Proverbs really hammers the sluggard and says, be diligent. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of warnings to those who work a bit too much, you know, and should take their ease. And I think it's because laziness is a feature of fallen humanity. Oh, we might be able to hide our laziness by acting busy. I mean, busy is not the same as being diligent. We might be able to con our families and our bosses by pretending to be focused at just the right moment when their eye is on us so that we're not caught out. But I think many of us here will recognise something of the sluggard in ourselves, even if it's not quite as extreme as the sluggards of Proverbs, or even if it's just from time to time. But if that's what the sluggard is like, why does it matter? If someone wants to just slob around, why not let them? I mean, the writer of the Proverbs, he's, he's giving warning after warning. He, in chapter 6, he pleads with his son. He's saying it's not right just to let... Even it's not right for yourself, but even to you know, you've got to encourage others and help them uh, not to be like this. Why does it matter? Why not just let them slob around? 
And the reason it does matter is because there's consequences to being lazy. And Solomon spends a lot of time uh, pointing out the consequences. And But like the other topics we've been looking at the last few weeks, the things he points out are only generally true. Uh, they're not cast iron certainties. There are lazy people who can be fed, but, you know, it's a tendency. But take the point. The first consequence, Solomon says, is that the sluggard's business suffers and they end up in poverty. Uh, in chapter 6 and verse 9, uh, <laughs> Solomon says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? We, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I have a very good place to rest my hands when I fold them. Uh, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Or the same ideas in chapter 15 and verse 19. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. And I take it that we all know that that's true, right? That there's consequences, that the lazy person in general doesn't do as well as the diligent person. You know, you, you don't study for your exams, you don't study at all, and you won't pass. Uh, you turn up to work late every day and make those kind of cervix excuses as a man, um, or you stop turning up at all and you're going to get sacked, right? You don't put in the effort of pulling out the weeds out of the garden and it's going to be overrun and become unproductive. You don't prepare your Bible study as the leader and nobody gets much out of it and they, well, stop coming because what's the point? You know? It's just really an outplaying of the profound truth that runs right throughout the Bible that you reap what you sow, right? That's Old and New Testament, you reap what you sow, but if that was the only consequence that it affects you, well, maybe you could live with that. But there's a second consequence that Solomon points out that, that follows straight on. That is, the sluggard's desires and hopes and longings uh, for themselves and for others never end up getting fulfilled. Sloth always ends in dissatisfaction and misery. And so chapter 13 and verse 4, the sluggard craves and gets nothing but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The same idea is repeated a few chapters later in chapter 21. The, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. That is, the lazy bums always fantasizing, hoping that all that they want and you know, even for their families will, will just happen somehow but they end up filled with regret and dissatisfied because they can't ever have them. And, and notice it's, it's completely self-centred, isn't it? It's all about them and what they do not have, in contrast to the diligent, righteous person who, who not only has their desires met, but they care about other people and, and they give to others in order to bless them. It's not just that they have their own desires met, but they've got an excess so they can care for those around them and be generous, like we saw last week when it came to money. Poverty comes, the desires are unmet, but there's a third consequence that Solomon points out. And that is, and that is maybe the saddest of them, the sluggard in the end becomes filled with self-delusion. In the end, they're just having themselves on. They're kidding themselves. And so come back to chapter uh, 26. 
I haven't got it on screen because we're following that chapter. The, the, the first half of the chapter uh, looks at another negative character, right, the fool. And, uh, you know, don't put your life in the hands of the fool. And, and one of the characteristics of the fool is that they never learn from their mistakes. They just keep making the same error over and over again. And so verse 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Right, that's how stupid and ugly it is when they just keep making the same dumb mistakes. It's like a dog licking up its sick. Um, but then you get to verse 12, and Solomon says there's someone who's even more foolish than that kind of fool. Can you imagine someone that's dumber than the person who wants to lick back up their own vomit? He says there is someone. Have a look who it is. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The greatest fool is he who thinks he's wise in his own eyes. But who is the person who's wise in his own eyes? Who's that dumb? Can you know who? Will they please stand up and introduce themselves? Yes, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes. Than seven men who answer discreetly. The habitually lazy person really is someone who has become so self absorbed that they're wrapped up only in their own little world. They don't care about anyone, they don't care about others, they certainly don't care about God, which which really is the heart of true foolishness, isn't it? Remember the start of the book. The beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is anyone remember? The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. But the sluggard is so far from that because they're deluded into thinking they are all that matters. And that is very, very dangerous and it's very, very destructive. You see, whatever we think of ourselves, indeed whatever others think of us, it's relatively unimportant compared to the big question, what does God think of me? That's, that's the question you want to know the answer to. What does God think of me? And it would be the greatest tragedy in the world to uh, if God thought of you as a fool, even if the world thought you were wise, or even if you thought yourself wise. But why would Solomon say that God considers laziness, slothfulness, sluggardness <laughs> to be the height of foolishness? Why is this the dumbest thing? Well, it's not just the short and long-term consequences for life, is it? It's, it's because he knows God and he knows what uh, God's like and what God's word, the Bible says, about work and being diligent. Uh, he knows, for instance, that, that work and being productive is part of actually God's creation mandate. Um, work was ordained by God right back at the start of the Bible as something that is good and right and important. It's actually part of, of who we are and who we're made to be. Sure, work became harder and more miserable due to God's curse in Genesis 3. You know, thorns and thistles are going to go up and it's going to be miserable. But, but Genesis 2 and verse 15, before people rejected God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That is, work is something that's natural to us. We're meant to be useful. I am made by God to do helpful, productive stuff 
for his kingdom, flowing out of my relationship with him. And so are you. It's part of the reason why part of the reason why we find so much satisfaction in a hard day's work, whether it's at our jobs or gardening or making something. There's a joy in, it, isn't there? There's a, it's a job well done, and you, you know you congratulate yourself. And it's supposed to be like that. It's really good, you know. It's only the pain of the curse that it's not like that all the time. But it's also why the person who's becomes trapped in their laziness, can so easily end up with all kinds of mental health problems because we're made to honour and serve and love and care and, and be constructive and be helpful. And it's not just something that is implicit from creation as if, you know, if you skip Genesis 2, you would never know that, right? God commands us to work. Um, the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. I mean, Ten Commandments, everyone thinks they're important, right? You know, don't murder and stuff. What's, what's number four? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all you have to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Um, yes, rest is the goal. Rest is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's an incredible blessing of God when we enjoy the fruits of our labour, uh, and, and when we thank God for his provision for us, which is why well, you need a break. But, but what's the pattern? It's six and one, right? I can't count to six on one hand uh, unless I do it in binary. But anyway, but they, uh, <laughs> nerd joke. But anyway, that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> why six days to labour and one day to rest? Well, because that's what God did when he made the world. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day and blessed it. Yeah, that is to say, God himself is a worker, right? He's a hard worker. Yes, he enjoys the fruits of his labours, but he's not idle. Now, God didn't just kind of wind up the world and then... Oh, I'm just going to go cruising in the Mediterranean now every other week, uh, you know, looking in on us once in a while to see how we're going and say hi. Oh, I'm off again. I need to get a tan, you know. That, that, that's not God, right? And that same essence and way of operating is instilled in us because we are made by God in his image. Now, I want to clarify something. That, that saying that we're made by God to work is not the same as saying everyone needs to have a job. Right, Work and employment are not the same thing. They overlap, but they're not the same thing. And I reckon actually we've done a lot of damage to people by using the words work and employment as basically the same thing. It's not true. Andrew's already pointed out to us. But plenty of people work and work hard, but they aren't employed by anyone. You might think of you know, the volunteers down at the, the canteen uh, or down the op shop or... Uh, or scripture teachers, they work really hard, you know. Uh, they're working in the sense the Bible means, but they're not employed. Or you think about stay-at-home mums and dads. Uh, Alison has got three children under 10, I think. Yes, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, Edwina's got three under seven. Yeah, yeah. Neither of them are employed, but they're working, they really work hard. 
And, and we've done the idea of motherhood a great harm and robbed it of its great dignity by saying that a woman at home is not a woman at work. Whether we're employed or not, we're, we're to be diligent and productive. Whether it's doing the housework to make everyone else's lives easier, whether it's coming down to church and mowing the lawn or fixing something or coming to the working bee in a few weeks' time or volunteering at, at Break the Cycle. At, you know, be diligent, don't be lazy. It means that we as a church may need to be creative in helping those who are unemployed find useful things to do with their time so that they're not idle or lazy. God's calling us, whether we have a paid job or not, to be productive and useful, to take care of ourselves and to take care of those around us just like he does. And that's what makes laziness in the end so utterly foolish in God's eyes because it's a denial of who God is. It's a denial of who we are and who we were created to be. It's actually part of man's rebellion against God's rule. Laziness is. Now, we're not saved by works, and it's not that we are saved by doing work. I mean, Jesus came and died to save us. He's risen again. He's conquered death. He brings forgiveness uh, and reconciliation and transformation. But but in dying for us and bringing that forgiveness and reconciliation, he also calls us to, to renew our attitude to life, you know, to renew our attitude to alcohol, that we be sober-minded and we be thoughtful about those around us rather than just taking and entertaining ourselves, you know, renew our attitude towards money and stuff as he calls me to be both content with what I've got and generous with what I've got. And in regard to work, in being diligent, in serving. And our New Testament reading was really a great example of exactly that. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 2. I mean, you probably kept your finger in there already, uh, knowing it was our reading. 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul's talking to a church that he himself founded. It's a, it's a church he loves, in fact. Uh, it's a good church. Uh, he congratulates them in so many ways. Just go back to the start of 1 Thessalonians if you want to see that. It's got no big issues, but there's one problem. One problem he addresses, and he, it's a hard word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Pick it up at verse 6. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every believer who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. And this is, that's strong stuff, Right? You keep away from that person. What's the teaching they'd receive? Verse 10, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he will not eat. And then Paul really gets stuck in verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. They are busy. Sorry, they're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and we urge, both very, very strong words, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is right. And you see, in the end, that's the real work God calls us to be doing and doing diligently, the work of doing what is right. Never be lazy in that. Serve God. Serve him wholeheartedly. Be diligent in the way you seek to love him and love others, which includes 
being diligent at home in doing the things that care for your family well, you know, cooking, cleaning, you know, picking up after yourself, all that kind of thing. But it includes being diligent in your job, both as you earn a living to provide for your family, but also so you can love your colleagues uh, by being great and productive team members, but also witnessing to the work of God in your life. But it also includes being diligent in the way we serve our church family, by, by looking around and seeing what needs doing and, and just getting stuck in. Whether it's being involved in a long-term uh, ministry team like one of our kids' programs or scripture teaching or, or whether it's helping with a short-term project like, like putting on the Christmas carols, that's a lot of work. Um, or whether it's just being helpful by, by looking around after the service um, maybe night church needs to hear this a bit more, uh, and, and picking up that piece of paper. It's not night church alone, though, because I do it after every service. And picking up the piece of paper, picking up the Slurpee cup that was left there from 7-Eleven in your pew, um, you know, tidying up the cushions so it can be you know, a benefit to other people. But it also includes things like you know, welcoming the newcomer, looking around saying, you know, that person's sitting by themselves, how can I care for them? It includes... You know, saying, oh, that person's looking a bit sad. I might go and see what's up and pray with them. It's asking after each other and, and following each other up. All those things are great work and great work for his king. In fact, that kind of thing, which might seem so insignificant in the eyes of the world um, compared to the high-powered jobs that some of us might hold, uh, it seems insignificant because no one's given you any money to do it but in fact may well be the greatest kind of work there is to do. Because that kind of work, the work that's for God's glory and for his kingdom, the work which promotes the gospel and which helps in reaching people for Jesus and encouraging them in their walk with Jesus, is a work which lasts beyond this world, right? You've got you to work so you eat, but there's an eternal work with an eternal value. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it's a tremendous chapter on, on the resurrection of Jesus and uh, how you can know it's true. It goes through the evidence of it. Uh, it also talks about then what the implications of that for our resurrection, how you can know heaven is real and, and how you can know that you're part of it and, and the glory that awaits. It's a wonderful chapter. But he concludes the end of it by saying this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on. Therefore, because of that, because we have this victory over sin and death that Jesus has won for us, because we know where we're going. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Your labour as a believer, your labour as a Christian, your, your service of God and for his kingdom and purpose will never be in vain. Right? Even small things that seem insignificant, you know, they are doing good things. We had um, uh, a gentleman turn up here two weeks ago, came up, he said, you don't remember me, do you? No, I'm got a clue. He said, I had a car accident at the front of the church and uh, uh, someone brought me a cup of water. Um, that was four years ago. I've become a Christian since then. It turned my life around and uh, I just wanted to come and say thank you to the church and 
Uh, I'm on my way to play footy and I thought, I'm coming through Ingleby and I've got to go in and say hello. Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. Seeing lives won for Jesus, uh, by Jesus, and doing anything that might contribute to that happen, be it the work of prayer, that is hard work, um, or the work of financing, or the work of inviting, or the work of speaking the gospel, or, or of encouraging someone in their walk, or whatever part you play in that kingdom work, that is stuff that's of eternal value. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It is not fruitless, it's not pointless, it is valuable, it is wonderful. Don't be like the sluggard. The only time you ever move is just to roll over and the other side. Never finishes anything, always comes up with excuses, and in the end it's just living with self-delusion. The life's about them. And that we're wise when we're being lazy. Let's be diligent. God is calling us to be loving and productive members of our families, loving and productive members of our uh, places of employment, loving and productive members of our community, loving and productive members of our church, and ultimately loving and productive members of God's kingdom. For that work is not in vain. I, I, as I was writing that, I couldn't help but think of my friend, Bob Brown. Uh, anyone know Bob? Bob turns up here every couple of years for about three months. He's from, the, from America. Uh, he took a low-paid uh, job um, so that he could feel free to walk away from it for three months at a time and travel internationally, especially to Australia, to disciple young men and encourage them. And just say, how are you going? Are you being diligent? Are you being a good son? Are you being a good, you know? He has this motto. Uh, it goes, um, if you see something that needs doing and it's within your capacity to do it, just do it. <laughs> if you see something that needs doing and it's within your capacity to do it, just do it. Now, there's lots of things that aren't in your capacity to do something about, right? You, you, there is time to rest and there's time to do stuff and there's time take a break and you know and enjoy things uh it may be that you just having a time that your dance card's full you know that there are too many people just competing for attention so it's not always within our capacity to do it but if you see something that he's doing it's within your capacity to do it just do it i want to say i think the bible's telling us to be like bob brown there you go don't be the sluggard be diligent particularly for the work of the lord that is not in vain our father we want to thank you for these challenging words that uh, some of us including myself have never had to think through uh, about what your bible's saying and what you want us to be help us to be diligent people who love and serve you and love and serve those around us we pray please that you'll help us to be sober-minded you'll help us to be generous and content but also to to be diligent uh, particularly we pray that you help us to do that work of your kingdom which is a blessing to others which points them to jesus and that helps them come to know you we thank you for that man who visited a few weeks ago and thank you for the countless lives that have been transformed and encouraged and strengthened uh, as we have witnessed to each other and to others we pray that that would be more and more so the case 
Help us to see with Jesus' eyes the things that need doing around us and to do them for your glory and your kingdom. Amen.